the theme that has come across like every other sermon, if not every one, has been that this year has been difficult. One of the things that we found so difficult uh, was the divisiveness we saw in our country. And so this series is designed to help us think about what does unity look like? What does Jesus community look like? We are Jesus community, so we're taking themes every week to talk about um, <clears throat> what does it look like? And uh, last week we talked about, Will talked about that we are a found community, that God has found us, and that story of Zacchaeus, which is a great story. Um, but it's been a year of suffering, and I think that in, in many cases the suffering's been because of Sickness, pandemic, um, but also I think that some of the suffering has been revealed by the pandemic. Like it might have nothing to do with pandemic, but because of the pandemic interrupting our routines, um, we have found we have discovered things about ourselves that maybe we don't want to face. You know, uh, some routines have been broken. Um, financial, uh, you know, financial changes, and we're realizing things we used to trust in that aren't so sure anymore, and we're realizing we've placed trust in things that don't, that are not very solid. Um, so there's been suffering all the way around, and I want to share a story um, <clears throat> that happened to me uh, last year, about, a, well, I guess a little over a year ago, 14 months ago. So this is in uh, late April, early May. And we were right in the midst of a church of a very difficult time, not just trying to figure out uh, what does church during a pandemic look like. And it was early on in the pandemic. So if you heard about people getting COVID, you thought they were going to be turning into zombies. Like we didn't know um, that it would be flu-like. And I'm not saying it's not dangerous, but, you know, there was a lot of unknowns. Like um, I remember there was like six cases, you know, in Sagadahawk County. We're like, oh, man, the end is near. And... Um, Maine, fortunately, has been relatively safe. Um, <clears throat> but so it was right early on, and, and things were stressful anyway. But also as a church, we went through a staff change, right? And we we let uh, John Andrade go from um, staff at North Harbor, and that was that was really difficult for a lot of people. It was hard, and um, there were a lot of questions. And there was this Thursday morning. I was down in the, this workbench under, it's in the basement. It, it's not a finished basement. It's pretty rough, uh, but there's a workbench down there. And I spent a lot of time during pandemic down there because now everyone's at home. Everyone's at home doing class in all the rooms. Uh, so I just went downstairs and um, we had a little extra flat screen TV down there so you could have the, you know, the... Red Sox, not the Red Sox, I guess, that time of year. Yeah, Red Sox, Celtics, you know, have some sports on or something. And I would set up the computer and do a lot of Zoom meetings down there. Um, and uh, this one week uh, was just tough. We were coming up on the final Zoom meeting we had planned on Thursday night to talk with our partners, our members, about uh, the staff changes. And we had already talked with uh, the teens, we'd already talked with teen parents, we'd already talked with volunteers. And uh, that day, we decided that uh, we heard there was a need. There were two teens down in Portland whose single mom was going into the hospital. They had no place to go, and, uh, which means the state's going to step in. And they were sick with uh, COVID as well. 
Um, and so as a family, we decided to uh, bring them in and uh, they could stay in the third floor. We have two rooms up on the third floor and um, they were from Rwanda, um, great kids. <clears throat> and they, they did fine through that sickness and they're doing well and their mother's doing well. Uh, but that day, that's, you know, we made that decision and that's happening later in the evening and we got this uh, last Zoom meeting going and I'm, um, I'm at the end. I'm at the end of my rope, and I'm struggling. And that afternoon, I don't know what happened earlier on, um, on Thursday, but I hit that wall, and I just had this emotional breakdown. I, was, I found myself in that basement by myself just sobbing, and we had this meeting coming up, and, you know, <clears throat> I don't... I don't know how I got there, but a perfect storm was playing on the flat screen, and I thought, the ship is going down. Like, <laughs> we're not, <laughs> this is bad news. We know how this ends, right? And uh, I start texting the board and saying, I'm having a really hard time. I'm hitting the wall. Uh, and uh, I just think all the decisions and all, everything was just added up. And so Graham called me up. You know, Graham, Graham led music last week. Graham called me up. And I got texts, I think I got a text from some other board members, but, but Graham called. And I don't remember much of the conversation, I, but I remember him saying, you know, it's all right, we'll make it through this, it'll be okay. And it was cool because there wasn't, he didn't do any coaching, he was just there to listen and to kind of sit with me through that time. And he had to stop whatever he was doing. And do that. he didn't have to, but he did that. He did coach me. He did say, turn the movie off. Um, <laughs> turn the movie off. And yeah, we had the meeting. And, you know, that was, it was, the meeting was, it wasn't easy. But that phone call from Graham made it very helpful. Um, and we've all experienced this on this sort of level. A friend calls up right at the right time. Um, what we need to see as a church is to do that on a bigger scale, I think. Particularly when we look at the issues uh, around our nation right now and all the divisiveness. If we could see that happen on a bigger scale, right? We need to learn to walk with one another in that suffering. That's what sympathy means, to, to, to suffer with the other person. So... Um, <clears throat> Sympathy and empathy are very closely related, I, and I found these definitions online. Sympathy is the perception, understanding, and reaction to the distress or need of another life form. Empathy is very similar. It's a slightly different. Empathy is the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from within their frame of reference. That is the capacity to place oneself in another person's Position. So empathy would say, I know what you're going through. That's happened to me as well. Sympathy would be like, I'm not sure, I, you know, I've never experienced this, but that must be difficult. And it was so, and what Graham did was exactly that. He, he didn't try to coach me through it. He didn't um, talk. He just was, he just sat with me during that time, during that, I don't know, 35 minutes on the phone. It's very powerful. Jesus' community is a sympathetic community. That's what his community, that's what our community 
That's what the church should look like. So we're going to look at a, a passage where we see this happening. And it's a tricky passage because it's not... What we're going to look at is how Jesus deals with suffering. Uh, the thrust of the teaching is bigger than that. And so it gets tricky when you're trying to teach something on a kind of an angle. We're going to come in at, at this passage on an angle. And we're going to look at... This, this comes in at a certain time in the, in the book of John. We're going to look at the book of John and the raising of Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick and he, and he passes away and Jesus shows up. And this is an interesting time. It's a time of transition in that book. So the author... John is transitioning uh, to Jerusalem. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem soon, and that's going to spell his own suffering. He's, that means Jerusalem is going to mean suffering uh, for Jesus. And that's the big picture. That's where the narrator is trying to take us in chapters 11 and 12. Up to that point, Jesus has been doing these, amer- these amazing miracles healing people, we have the the water into wine, and scholars will talk about that as the book of signs. All these signs that Jesus is doing that are pointing to his messiahship, uh, uh, what his mission is, what his vocation is here on earth. So the the turning water into wine is a, and, and all the celebration that ensues, is a sign of the kingdom that it's coming, that there's going to be this great celebration and it's going to be a change. It's going from water to wine. It's getting better. And there's all this, uh, all these signs are pointing to, a sign is something, like if you go to Center Street sign, you're not really at my house where I live on Center Street. The sign is to point you to something different. Well now, the sign that we're going to see, we're going to see this last one, which is the, the biggest, the raising of Lazarus. And of course, it's a sign looking towards Jesus' own resurrection and stepping out of that grave, you know, and uh, being resurrected. And so that's the sign. That's what we're pointing to. But that whole thing, that whole story, the passion, is surrounded with this idea of death and suffering and crucifixion. So this idea, this theme of suffering, hangs over the entire passage. So I think it's appropriate that we could look at. And what we want to see is how... Jesus enters into that and deals with it. So there's lots of uh, typical in this. There's lots of misunderstanding. There's lots of irony. There's lots of uh, people that think it's one thing and not the other. And that makes for a really interesting story where you think that it's going to go one way and it goes somewhere else instead. And when that happens, it's a clue to us to ask, do I really get it? Do I really understand um, the big picture? The author's showing us these things uh, to kind of help us look in the mirror. So we have the opening statement. This is uh, what would be called the, the exposition. If you're into uh, crime shows, this is what happens before the credits roll, right? With a title. Like, uh, what's the uh, law and order? Dun, dun, right? Right, you get the, you get the scene... And then there's a commercial break, and then there's a title, and then you go into it. This is, the, this is the, what happens before. It sets it up. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. We skip down to verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. It's pretty short, but it's very packed. First of all, We have the mention of Bethany. Bethany is very close to Jerusalem. And so when the readers read this, 
What they're saying is that there's a threat because Jesus has been threatened. He's left Jerusalem and there's this threat over his life. So when we read Bethany, we just think, oh, it's in this place. But the, the people in that audience are saying, oh, it's near Jerusalem, and that's, that's not a good place for Jesus to be right now. Um, he's threatened there. Um, we see uh, Martha and Mary, um, <clears throat> the two sent, sent a message telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And I love this mention that he is a dear friend. Here is someone that Jesus feels very fondly of. He loves this guy. And so there's this theme of love and affection that flows through this entire passage. It's mentioned several times all the way through. And then we have the problem. He's sick. And all we know now is that he's ill, right? And so when we leave it like that, what's implied with this setup is what is Jesus going to do? How is he going to handle this? What's going to happen? That's the tension that keeps this story rolling on. So we get into it. Verse 4. When Jesus heard about it, about his sickness, it said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved, here we have again that theme, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And there's that theme again. We're going to go back towards this threat on his life. He's going closer to Jerusalem, and that's bad news. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 out. This is, this is totally Jesus. He doesn't say yes or no. He just says, <clears throat> there are 12 hours of daylight in every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend, here we have that friend, someone we love, someone we know. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now we'll go and wake him up. So what he's saying is that, you know, the time hasn't come yet. The danger isn't, it's not nighttime yet. We can still go. We're going to do it. Lazarus has fallen asleep. And again, he says something that throws them off a bit. The disciples said, Lord, if he's falling asleep, he'll get better. That's good news. If he's this sick and he's sleeping, that means things are moving in the right direction. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, finally, yes, just give us a plain answer. Lazarus is dead. (laughs) And for your sakes, this is strange, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Check this out. For now... You will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go as well and die with Jesus. So it's a really feel-good moment right now. (laughs) Now, I don't know what's odd about this because it's written and we're not hearing it, is I don't know if that is sarcasm. I don't know if (laughs) Thomas, who's doubting Thomas, who needs to put his hand in in the wound and... Make sure it's really Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah, let's go as well and die with Jesus. Or if it's a real act of courage and bravery, meaning that we're going to go, let's go. We're, we're going to do this with you. 
But what's interesting, and this is the way these stories work, is that he's hitting it right in the money. This is, there's a moment of suffering here, and we are going to be with Jesus. And being with Jesus, this is what it means. This is what means follow, you know, what following Jesus is all about, is being with him in his suffering and in his uh, celebration. In fact, I, when I was doing this, I did a word search on suffering and this idea of suffering with one another, sympathetic. And I swear, like 95% of the, thing, the, the information on suffering and the references to suffering were about us sharing in Jesus' suffering. It was actually a little bit harder to find what I was looking for. This everywhere, and we saw this in the book of Hebrews, right? What, what, where's the themes, right? Jesus is greater. Stick with it. I know you're suffering. Jesus is greater than this. And it shouldn't be a surprise. We worship. We just sang songs about a person that we worship who was crucified, who suffered. And so all these references are to suffering with Jesus. And here we see it. Thomas either gets it or he doesn't get it and he's being sarcastic. I don't know which it is. But we have this statement in here in verse 15 where he says, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't here. And he says, now you will really believe. In other words, these are deci- they've been with him for three years. He's coming, he's coming close to the end of their ministry and the, the implication is that they don't get it. They don't understand that there's, a, there's belief that is missing here. That they need to learn something. Their, their faith is immature at this point. So you have this theme of misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> and it continues. So those are the disciples. Now we move on to the friends. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Now there's this belief in Judaism that the spirit hangs around for three days. So after three days, it's done. It's done. All right? He's done, done. Done, done. Done, done. Um, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, this theme of suffering and danger, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So now there's a crowd that makes it more dangerous. Someone's going to see them and alert the authorities. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. The, res- the idea of a resurrection is not a new idea in the first century. The idea was that everyone's going to resurrect and there's going to be this time of uh, judgment um, and justice. Uh, but what's odd is that the Messiah dies, first of all, that the Messiah dies and then is resurrected ahead of this general resurrection. So she's thinking, yes, we will see him again. She's going on her current understanding of, of theology. <clears throat> Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me 
and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Everyone who lives in me. This is a current state of being. Living in Jesus. And he says, I am the resurrection. And everyone that's looking at Jesus at this point is looking at him as some sort of uh, superhero that's just going to fix a problem. Now he does that, but again, these are signs. His healing, his feeding of the 5,000, his raising people from the dead are to point people to something else. The fact that he is life. Not that just that he leads to life or that one day there's a promise of life, but that he is life. Amen. <clears throat> Not just that he can fix things. There's other people that have died. There's other people that are sick in this town, I'm sure. But he doesn't do all those. And that's what, that's what this stumbles people up. If God is so good, how come this happened to my friend? Jesus says, I am life. In the midst of this story that is filled with themes of suffering and death, I am life. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. It's amazing how many people say these statements that are so right on theologically and still have a hard time understanding the big picture. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm like that often. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here. He wants to see you. And Mary immediately went out to him. And we skip down to 32. Then uh, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so this theme of misunderstanding continues and continues. Later on, we're going to see the whole crowd just doesn't quite get it. No one gets it in this story. So when we're faced with suffering, I think we could all identify with this. Our vision of things gets a bit clouded. When we're hurting, it's almost like these blinders come on to other people's suffering. Um, we feel like we're so overwhelmed with what we're going through, it's hard to see the suffering of other people. And our vision towards life gets a little bit skewed. And I'm not saying it's wrong to suffer. I'm just saying that this is a reality of what suffering is about. It's hard to look beyond what's going on with us and see what's going on with other people. And so it's so important <clears throat> to know or to see how Jesus handles that. These people are suffering. And what they're seeing right now and what they're saying is, what can God do for me? How, how, what, what can God do? And Jesus is trying to get them to see something about God. It's just different than what they imagine. And their suffering is overwhelming them. So, here we get to it. What does he do? How does Jesus handle it? And this is what we want to see. What does a sympathetic community look like? We sympathize. When Jesus saw her weeping, and I love that, Jesus sees your suffering. He sees your tears. And saw the other people wailing with her a deep Anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? They asked. So this idea, this is the same term that's used of like this breath out of a horse, this powerful breath that comes out, this deeply troubled. Something is moving inside of him as he witnesses the suffering of the people around him. His friends, 
and the crowd. People close to him, the people not so close to him. And he's deeply troubled. He's angry. And I think he's angry at the brokenness of the world. He's not really angry with them. We don't see that he's angry with the authorities. But that we live in a hurting world. And it makes you angry, right? There are things we read on the news that make us angry. And we wonder, is this worth it? Right? Being honest, we, we wonder that. They told him, Lord, come and see. And I love that. There's the invitation. Jesus, come see this suffering. Welcome it in. <laughs> Let's not dodge it. Then Jesus wept. Our shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. He enters into this. There's a physical reaction to their suffering. Now, that's what sympathy is. I'm going to enter into this suffering with another, another person. When we had the class last winter on race and the gospel, one of the things that Eduardo mentioned several times, he said that doing race work, meaning the work of overcoming that, understanding it in ourselves, understanding it in the world, is body work. He said that. It's body work. And what he means is that, you know, I believe that when we finish those classes, two hours of talking about racism, I was worn out. I was tired. I was a bit depressed. Particularly the, uh, the documentaries on what has happened in our own state with Native American tribes and foster care and pulling kids out of good homes cutting their hair, sending them away when there was no good reason to do so. That's hard. It's exhausting. And he kept saying, doing this kind of work is body work. You can feel it. And here we see this trouble, this stirring deep inside that comes out in tears where he's crying for his friend. He's asking questions. Where have you put them? They're inviting them in. There's all this work that's going on. So, to be sympathetic is to suffer with someone. To feel it. Empathy is a bit easier. and very, this, Both will be included in this. But I'm, I'm focusing on sympathy because there comes times where we, we don't know what people are going through. And we need to learn how to walk with them in that, because that's what Jesus does. If the whole theme of this is suffering, and this threat of death, and there's a person that's suffering, we see what Jesus does. He doesn't dodge it. He doesn't heal from a distance. He enters in to the suffering. And this is the story of the incarnation. This is the story of our Bible. Though Every single gospel is going to spend more time and more ink talking about how Jesus suffers with us than any other part of his ministry that he suffers with. And we see it elsewhere in the Bible as well. Romans 12, 15. Paul, talking about different gifts and the diversity in the church, which we already covered in this series, writes this, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Weep with. Be happy with. With, 
one another. In other words, our circle is not defined by politics. Our circle is not determined by age or gender um, or our belief about immigration and vaccines. The way we define our circle is everyone, and we walk with them in it. And I don't think this is narrowing it down to happy and sad, mourning and, you know, it's a way of encompassing everything. When we say young and old, you know, Jesus invites the young and the old. It doesn't mean that the middle aged are left out, right? Everyone. The extremes. The outer end of the circle is everyone. Weep with those who weep. And uh, I love this passage in Hebrews. We go back to Hebrews. Hebrews uh, 13.3. I don't think these are in there, by the way. Listen to this very closely. Remember some... Now, remember our themes of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Stick with it. He's addressing suffering. At the end, he has these practical things. He just wants to remind them before he finishes the book. Whoever writes the book says this. Remember those in prison as if you were in there yourself. Put yourself in their shoes. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your body. Put yourself in their shoes. Walk with them in their suffering. Uh, Philippians 2 comes to mind. There's people who are bickering in the church and Jesus says, have the same mind in you that Jesus did. Although he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be taken by force. But he became human, entered into human form, became a slave, he suffered, and he died. In other words, he's addressing this issue in the church where people aren't getting along. And he begins talking about Jesus, who suffers with humanity. Therefore, God highly exalted him. One who suffers with. Um, In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the body of the church as well. And he says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets honored, all the parts get honored. And so the way Jesus deals with this is he suffers with. Now, I want to go back to my definition. I'm going to read sympathy again. Sympathy is the perception, the understanding, and reaction to the distress or the need of another life form. Now, according to the philosopher David Hume, I love this. This sympathetic concern is driven by a switch in viewpoint from a personal perspective to the perspective of another group or an individual who is in need. I love that. we got to switch from our perspective into another person's perspective. Now, it doesn't mean we have to agree, but we got to be able to say, tell me about it. That must be difficult. Tell me about it. And the reason we need to hear this now for this series is that our world is, there's, in many cases, it's not doing that. It's been a divided year. And I think part of it is pandemic is bringing up all this stuff and, and we're getting edgy because of this cloud hanging over us. And, and you know, politics have been getting hotter and hotter anyway, it seems like, over the last few years. And it can divide us. Unless we follow Jesus' example and then we can be united, which is 
being different, but moving in the same direction together. It doesn't mean uniformity. So, it's worth, I don't know what it's like to be someone in another country where my father's been working in the United States and sending money home and living in poor conditions and not being able to get in. I don't know what that fear is like. I have no clue. But if we're going to be a light to the world, we need to be able to ask, tell me about that. Jesus asked, where'd you put them? Where, where is this, where's the source of this suffering right now? Show me. And they say, come and see. You had this coming together. Here's my suffering. Where it is? And Jesus comes in and walks with them. And so we need to be able to ask, what is that like? Putting aside our opinions on it and learning what it's like to suffer that. Now, I also do not know what it's like to be a farmer on some border town and having to pay help that is too expensive unless you find cheaper help coming in over our borders. If I don't pay for cheaper help, how can I keep a business? I have no idea what that financial stress is like. I have no idea what that financial stress is like for people that may be losing their job to illegal immigrants. And so as a church, listen, if, if the church can't do this, then we're not being like Jesus. And we're not being like Jesus. We're not a light to this world. We are not the body of Jesus doing the work that Jesus asked us to do. So entering in. I mean, the example earlier with Graham, I think we've all experienced that kind of thing. But what we need to do is take it up a notch and hold these opinions which divide us, hold it with an open hand and be able to see what the other person's holding as well. And then we can offer some hope as we walk with others. And I think when Jesus does that, he is demonstrating what being life is. When he says, believe in me, I am the resurrection of life, that's being, because now we have someone else to walk with us. That is life. That is the life that Jesus has called us to, being manifest in human form. When we call each other up and we walk with one another. And not just in the church, but outside the church with the world. Amen. Yeah. Suffering doesn't hold the finality with Jesus that it holds for us. Suffering can grip us. And that Jesus is showing here, he, what he's saying is that I am the Lord of life. And with that comes a different perspective. And we're able to do that as we walk with other people in the midst of it. We know how the story ends. Um, Martha... Lazarus' sister protest, protested, Lord, he's been, he's been dead for four days. The smell's going to be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God, God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. And here's the irony of this. With this miracle of life, the plotting against Jesus' life increases. 
And that's a good, that's good storytelling there, the irony of what's going on. So let's be people that understand it, that we get, we see it, and not misunderstand, that we walk with. A, Jesus' community is a sympathetic community. We suffer with one another. And we have a great opportunity to bring that sort of hope and that sort of life into a world that is divided and suffering. And people do things for a reason. Sometimes we, it gets clouded because people act up and say mean things and all that sort of thing. If we can focus on Christ, the Lord of life, and enter into these conversations with an open hand and say, I want to understand your perspective on this, that'll change things. That'll bring hope. And in Jesus, it's possible. Amen?